and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? What's happened to this microphone? Well, it's just, uh, you just got to raise it there. Who who used this last? Probably me. Yeah, it, not, was, it was definitely me. You're not remarkably short? No, but I do tend to slouch, as you can see. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, We're off to a weird start, because I had to adjust the microphone. David, we got so. Halloween colors with our microphones today. We, we got do. orange We're and black. We're still in the spirit. Absolutely. I saw people, like... Uh, last night, uh, we're recording this on Saturday, November the 2nd. Last night, Saturday, November the 1st, uh, I saw people in costume out and about. And I get it. Like, it's that's the weekend that's closest to Halloween. But I also always feel like whenever a holiday falls in the middle of the week, and Paul Tompkins had a bit about this with yeah. uh, St. Patrick's Day, it's the, the weekend before is when you should celebrate. I agree. Because if it's the weekend after, and yeah, I mean, it just sounds like we're lifting from from uh, Paul Tompkins. But he's bit, right. But, it's, but he's absolutely right, especially if it involves dressing up. Like, if it's just drinking, it's like, well, you can make that argument no matter what. But like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but like dressing up the day after Halloween, even if it's a Friday, it's just like, it's all happened. It's all over. Yeah. Christmas commercials have started now. Yeah. So... It just it has a it has a vague maybe not even so vague just a whiff of desperation yeah we're just like we ha- you know as he says we have to do this I need to dress up <laughs> right but uh, and what did you did you see any, now you um, were traveling on Halloween or I was in St Louis on Halloween I was in St Louis on I, Halloween now listeners are confused because I David and the one who's from St Louis yes but you were in St Louis I was yes um, friend of the show uh, Adam Rebitaro he's been good on, friend of the show good friend of the show yes I was gonna say dear friend of the show but dear friend is the term I use like tongue in cheek like oh, if okay. someone like like uh, I'm trying to think of like a past guest who's only been on the show once or twice like an like an Emily Maya Mills. Mm-hmm. If someone said, do you know who Emily Maya Millis is? I would jokingly say, like, oh, she's a dear friend of the podcast. Oh, see, what I, what I would <laughs> because say. I'm, because I barely know her. With somebody like, uh, like who's a, okay, like Pete Holmes, who is now uh, a much bigger name than he was then. Right. I like to say best friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> or what I usually say is my best friend, Pete Holmes, <laughs> uh, when speaking uh, to other people. But yes. So, that. um. Just if there's the name recognition, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, um, what were we t- oh yeah, I was. So he was. Uh, Adam was getting married on Halloween. That was a decision that he and his uh, now wife made, and it seems appropriate. That's awesome. Just uh, like, just like the couple in the crow. It's absolutely, and it kind of ended the same way. I feel like I you <laughs> like know. they were murdered the night before their wedding, yeah. and then a year later he came back and yeah. killed all of his murderers. Yeah. Well, I assume. I mean, look, they were murdered. I have to assume that next year they'll show back up again. Did you? I'm sorry to keep pulling you off track. This is going to be a long time before we get to the topic today, but that's fine. There's things to talk about. Um, or just things to bullshit about. That's the one. I feel like part, when we have like, uh, like our last, uh, when was the last time we did a show just the two of us? It's been uh, three or four weeks. I don't know. Yeah. So I feel like part of it is like catching up mm-hmm. whenever we're, we don't have a guest. Okay. So... Uh, where you you grew up in a lot of different places, yes, um, California, Colorado, uh, southwestern Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, did in any of those places was there a name for the night before Halloween? No, that's like an East Coast thing, but also a Michigan thing. Okay, that they have like Devil's Night or Mischief Night or like uh, 
like gate night. There's a bunch of different names. I've heard for I've it. heard people refer to it as, as mischief night, but that was later on in life, and it was people from the East Coast saying, "Oh, we used to call that mischief night." It's yeah, like, well, what? it's not a thing where I grew up at all. Yeah, uh, that's but but it is in Detroit, which is I guess that's the Midwest. Uh, so. Yeah, but that's Detroit. They're always looking for an excuse to cause some kind of mischief, which I think is what they call mugging. And uh, by which I mean, like, you know, pulling faces at the camera. I've never never been to Detroit outside of their airport, so I can't uh, can't vouch. Okay, fair enough. Uh, There are wild dogs in the city now. Like there, there. It's we've talked about Detroit before. It, this it makes me very sad when I hear about Detroit that it mm-hmm. is basically a crumbling city. It's like one of the only cities, if not the only major city, whose population has just been decreasing. Almost almost every other major American city, the population has been going up. Detroit, uh, Detroit, quite the opposite. So it's very sad. It's I mean we're never going to get to RoboCop at this rate, you know, <laughs> or maybe we will much faster. It's right. depending on yeah. how you look at it. But uh, but moving on. But they are getting a RoboCop statue. It's like almost there. Are it's they actually? Done. Oh yeah, it's like pretty much. Uh, it's not installed yet, but it's pretty much been finished. You can there's pictures of it online. Wow, I didn't know that. They should have an Ed Two Hundred Nine statue. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, that would create jobs because that thing's kind of big. But um, so okay, yeah. Uh, Adam got uh, married, and so congratulations to Adam. And so and you were in Ness. St. Louis. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Halloween. So uh, what I was going to say is, did you see any fun costumes? But I, you didn't, didn't, I didn't. I didn't. Wedding. Really. Yeah. Um, I went to uh, 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 a bar uh, that has a Halloween party every year that um, my girlfriend and I seem to go end up at every Halloween, and I saw uh, a dear friend of the show, uh, Matt Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, was there dressed as John Doe. Um, oh, good. So he had... Uh, Did he have a bald cap? No, he said he had ripped the bald cap trying to put it on. Oh, okay. So he apologized. Like, one of the first things he said is, I apologize for not having a bald cap. But he had his fingers, like, bandaged up with, like, blood on, you yeah. know, his fingers, and he was carrying a bloody box. Oh, nice. And so every time I'd pass him, I would... Not because I thought it was funny, but because I knew it was obnoxious, I would say, what's in the box? Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Do you realize so many people, when they say what's in the box, and they uh-huh. say it like they're trying to evoke the way he said uh-huh. it without committing em- emotionally, uh-huh. they wind up just say- sounding like a stereotypical Italian. It's like, <laughs> hey, what's in the box? What's, the- <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter you? No, no uh, yeah, that's not how you do it at all. Um, is that how I just did it? It sounded a little, a little, uh, you okay. Know. I'll have to commit next time. Um, now, what and then, forget, and then my what? girlfriend never met, okay. uh, had never met Matt before. So I was like, Oh, Natalie, Matt, Matt, Natalie. And she immediately went, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was thrilled. Yeah, that. I hope so. Uh, um, but what, I, what did you go? F- what were you for? Halloween? I was Will, I Will Graham from NBC's Hannibal. That's right. Yes. Um, no one got it. A lot of people thought it was Dexter, which is fine. Um, but uh, it's still creepy to walk around with, you know, medical examiner gloves and blood all over your face. Like <laughs> that still like looks creepy to people. Um, anyway, uh, but I saw another costume I saw that I loved because I love any costume where I get to wear a suit. So mm-hmm. I might steal this guy's idea in a future year. But he was just Jake from Chinatown. He was wearing a suit. He had a fedora and he had his nose bandaged up. Nice. And it was. Uh, it's the nose bandage that'll. Yeah. 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 That's nice. Yeah, it was a really good one. Anyway. Well, you did, but you didn't see any Halloweens. You did do something Halloween-ish. Yes, I you did. You went to the Nokia Theater. That's yeah. for the people. It's not the Nokia Theater. Yeah, it's Nokia. It's not the same people who make the cell phones. Somehow, I don't know. 
but it's this it's the same like name and spelled the same but it's not nokia it's nokia huh the nokia theater i assumed it was the same people and uh, i just pronounce it nokia um <laughs> so uh yeah i went and saw uh my my wife uh, several uh, like a month ago now you've got me doubting myself well, look it's at, not owned by the same people. I was sure that it's not. Well, instead of listening to me, maybe you should look it up. So, That's uh, the plan. Yeah, I know. Um, that plan's been in effect for a while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, about a month ago, my wife uh, sent me an email saying, hey, uh, would you be interested in this? And it was uh, the music of Danny Elfman from, Tim Bur- from the films of Tim Burton, uh, as performed by the uh, Hollywood Orchestra, with a special appearance by Danny Elfman himself. And I thought, yeah, that sounds a lot. That uh, sounds like a lot of fun. I don't often go to, uh, you know, the symphony or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, we we went Tuesday, the 29th, and it was a great deal of fun. Uh, and you know, while I might, I certainly give Tim Burton a lot of crap these days, and I try not to crap quite so heavily on Danny Elfman, but I've been pretty open about saying that he's not throwing you any. He's not throwing you any curveballs anymore. He's you know what to expect and you get it uh, from the last I'm going to say the last eight years. Um, and so uh, maybe 10 years at this point. But like, by the way, you were right. It is the same company. Oh, is it? OK. All right. I'm sure it wasn't. Well, I didn't think about it. I just uh, it's like Nokia. Hey, that's a thing. I bet it's the same thing. OK. Um, but uh, but yeah. And so um but I will say this, that when you are sitting there and the orchestra is playing and, you know, the mute and they had screens showing like, you know, little shots from, you know, the movies and that sort of thing. But, um, but uh, I mean, it's it, was it weighted toward his older stuff or it was it was I'll say it was weighted towards the things that he is most known for Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas. The but Simpsons. they had they do the Simpsons. Well, thing? he's not. Uh, Tim Burton was not associated with that. Oh, that's right. It's they Tim also, did, yeah. That's they also right. did not have you know Men in Black or right, uh, a course, number of other things that I you know. But did they do really Charlie liked. and the Chocolate Factory? They did. Yes. Um, and that's the thing is they they seem to know because I think Danny Elfman did the arrangement himself. He seemed to know. All right, we we know what the crowd pleasers are. Not unlike a, a concert by a band that you like. They know. Mm-hmm. The songs that everybody likes, they'll incorporate some of the some of the new stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, and that's the thing is, so but they'll like play a song off their upcoming album that hasn't come out yet. Did he play a selection from a movie no. like Tim Burton's next movie? No, not yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, but even the stuff that I thought was like okay, I've I've heard this before, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland. Um, it was still really great, but and it was seasoned just enough that when he when they played something that you're just like, Oh, here we go. Um, and at the beginning of each thing, uh, as the opening notes would start, everybody would applaud. Uh And, uh, and of course some things got more applause than others. Beetlejuice got a lot of applause. Um, and that was fairly early. Uh, for me, the one that I applauded at, uh, the hardest, some of them I didn't at all. I just didn't really feel like doing that. But uh, Mars Attacks shows up, uh-huh. and uh, hot damn, they handled that thing really well. Because what they basically do is they'll start with essentially the theme, because almost all of his movies have a theme of some sort. Okay. And then they will go into sort of the incidental music, and that'll last about... So the theme will be about four minutes, and then the incidental music will be about another four minutes. But every once in a while, 
they would do one where it's just the theme, like three minutes in and out, and then they move on. And that's what they did with Mars Attacks. And that theme is just wonderful. And they incorporated, uh, you know, they incorporate lights and stuff and everything. And they seem to reserve green lights only for the Mars Attacks section, uh, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, and like so uh, it was just a really great experience. And then after the intermission, okay, well, I should also say that uh, Jen and I were sitting at the very end. Okay, we're at the top of the stairs in the very back row, but at the top of the stairs, there are still seats. So basically, if you were walking up the stairs in our section, you would be faced with us sitting there. <laughs> uh, so... Dad, can I tell you a story real quick? Okay. Uh, last weekend, I watched uh, the Mizzou game with a listener of ours. You know him, Josh Youngerman. Yeah. Um, sorry, I usually don't like to say last names. I, don't, I just came out. Uh, we went to watch the Missouri football game. Um, at the sports bar, I had a lot of TVs um, showing... Uh, well, I mean, it was mostly focused on the Missouri game and also the UCLA game. We're going on at the same time. Uh, but a lot of different games. There's only one TV showing the Texas TCU game, and it was right behind me and Josh. Mm. There was also only one guy in the bar interested in watching the Texas TCU game. So the whole time everyone's faced the other like banks of TVs, there's one guy standing like essentially at the foot of our booth facing us holding a drink <laughs> for like two and a half hours this guy was just like he looked like he was like older than us he looked like one of our dads chaperoning us or something <laughs> but then like I, i'm looking the other way at the the missouri game and then uh, something bad would happen i don't even know which team because i wasn't watching the game but he'd just go oh, god damn it <laughs> like out of nowhere <laughs> that sounds very disconcerting <laughs> i, um, I kind of got used to it but uh and now right, you so, kind of crave it. Yeah. So uh yeah, uh so two so Jen and I were sitting there together. To our left was a middle-aged couple and uh the man kept uh raising up his phone to take photos of the stage. Now, I'll say this, while the lighting might have changed from time to time, the uh the layout did not. If you take let's say 3 photos, you got it. You're right. fine. Yeah. Uh this guy took I'm going to say 40 uh that's probably not true it's probably closer to 15 but still he kept raising up his phone and it at least it wasn't an ipad true but it was one of those bigger phones that's kind of in between like a regular size right. phone and an yeah. ipad and so it was just very distracting so that was one thing to my right and this is something that i should have anticipated i did not i can't think of a nice way to say this there is nothing worse than a teenage tim burton fan uh it's just Uh, we've all been them at some point uh i understand what you mean but my heart goes out to all teenage absolutely and you know what and that's i I hope things get better for them (laughs) well if they keep acting like this it will not uh but uh, and throughout the theater there there are people of various ages dressed in tim burton-esque garb and it it was kind of cool to see uh there was one guy who was dressed as beetlejuice it was a great costume, and a gr- and he did the voice perfectly. And I heard overheard him saying that he actually used to have the job at Universal Studios huh. as Beetlejuice. And uh, I can see how he got it because it was it was a really good uh, impression. But I saw, um, speaking of seeing costumes last night, mm-hmm. I saw a woman who was either I couldn't tell if she was Zombie Robin Thicke from the Blurred Lines video, okay. Or sexy Beetlejuice because they both have a black and white striped suit, and I couldn't tell what she was trying to be. Uh, but anyway, that's 
Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that suit. I've not seen the uh, the the complete video, but uh, at Denny's uh, they will show uh, little snippets from the most popular videos. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, that's like a Tompkins suit. Well, if, I'm, I'm assuming if it's at Denny's, then you're seeing the alternate version of the blurred lines video because the I guess the main version, the three women are naked the entire video. Mm, yeah, I don't recall that. Okay. <laughs> uh, or maybe they, they show maybe like 10 seconds of the video. Maybe they showed the only 10 seconds right. where there are no women in it. So uh, anyway. A terrible video and a terrible song, by the way. Just got to by a that. terrible man who has a terrible father, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know anything about him. So uh, to my right were, was a couple of, uh, were a couple of teenage girls, one dressed in kind of a vaguely Beetlejuice-esque uh, outfit. And then the girl next to her just kind of an all-purpose Tim Burton thing. And they were clearly fans and good for them. I was very, I was happy for them. And they seemed to know all of them. Like they, you know, they knew Mars Attacks. They knew, oh. you know, and that was exciting. I was, I was happy for them. Yeah. Then they started getting a little chatty and, uh, and just started like talking and talking fairly loudly. And she's like, okay, that is, you appear to be a true fan and I could understand <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe it's one of those things just like, well, I'm a real fan. So, like, I I can talk through this because what I'm saying is important. Danny understands. Um, <laughs> and so uh, so uh, the first before the intermission, they ended with a nice big melody, uh, partly, pardon me, uh, medley of Batman and Batman Returns. And it was really wonderful. But then I got this guy who who also didn't turn the uh, the clicking sound off on his phone. So Why do he, people even have it on? I ever? don't I don't know. So we got that guy, we got these two girls talking, and so the Batman section was really ruined, uh, and it was unfortunate. And so during the intermission, Jen and I were talking, I just said, would it embarrass you if I told everyone to be quiet? Um, not everyone. I mean, I would just go to talk to this guy. And so... You just have everyone tap, tap, tap. Uh, yes, hello. Hello, uh, Tyler Smith, Battleship Pretension. Uh, just wanted to let you know that I can hear you. Um, and so... Uh, so then during the uh, the opening of the second, not act, but the second half or whatever you'd call it, uh, when they're playing the uh, Planet of the Apes music, which is actually pretty good. The is movie's it? not good, but the, the music's not bad. Um, the uh, the guy starts taking photos again. So then I just lean over and I say, I, that's very distracting. Can you please stop doing that? Thank you. I'm sorry. And he was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And so it's like, okay, all right. He was, he was nice. And, and so you like, were I, nice. And I, yeah. yeah, I try to say an apology, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sorry, by the way, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so, and then about 10 minutes later, the, the girls started getting really chatty. And so then I went over to them and said, can you, can you please be quiet? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, um, but I had the thought of like, what, like the guy must've seen me do that. And so what he's just like, what is this guy, the fucking police? <laughs> like what's going on? But I'm very happy I did it because, you know, the Edward Scissorhands sequence came up right after that. And, uh, Jen is a big fan of that score as everybody should be. It's really beautiful. And so, and, the, and everyone was nice and quiet. And then they did the nightmare before Christmas sequence, uh, at which point Danny Elfman came out and sang, uh, a lot of songs as, as, uh, Jack Skellington. And I got to say, freaking he commits like uh -huh. he didn't just stand there and sing his songs like he incorporated like arm gestures like he really got into it. He was like playing the part. That's great. And it was it was so much fun to watch. And was Bridget Fonda in attendance? Was there a Bridget Fonda sighting? Not that I not that I'm aware of. OK. Um, and so uh, 
so you get like all these Jack Skellington songs in a row. And I had a thought and I was like, it's like, you know, Jack's not the only singer. Uh, he's not the only character mm-hmm, that sings. Mm-hmm. And then almost right on cue out walks Catherine O'Hara. Oh. Yeah. And she sings one of Sally's songs and then leaves. That's and that cool. it was wonderful. And the, and of course people went freaking out of their minds when she walked out, which is awesome. And uh and so she came out, sang and was really beautiful and it was really beautiful and then she left and then they then they uh finished uh they basically finished up the the whole show. And the conductor, this is insane. The conductor said, uh, I want to let you guys know some of the, an interesting factoid that a lot of the members of the orchestra here uh, were there, you know, are on the original recordings, including as far back as Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And he said, and I also should let you know that this, I don't even know how many, like 50, 100, I I can't, couldn't tell you how many instruments were involved mm-hmm. he goes but uh they only started rehearsing tonight's show yesterday at ten thirty, <laughs> like together and it's like that's insane to me uh but then they had an encore at which point danny elfman came back out and uh did the oogie boogie song yeah. uh with the conductor puts on a santa claus hat and does the santa claus sections <laughs> and it was just so much damn fun and i loved it a lot and it's one of those things that you know I'm reminded when West was here and he talked about how uh, John Williams has kind of kind of lost his luster a little bit. And I, and I say the same thing about Danny Elfman. Um, and I'm sure if push came to shove, I, I might say the same thing about a Carter Burwell. But um, which is after a certain point, you kind of know what you're getting. Uh, but when you just sit and you're just celebrating all of their work together, it re- you really do realize like, well, there's nothing wrong with a composer being a sort of auto- kind of having auteurist tendencies and they have their own signature style. And if that signature style is beautiful, then yes, you might have heard it before, but who cares? And so I really – it was just a really great night, one of the best nights I've had in a long time. And, uh, and I liked it a lot. So uh, we can move on from there. Well, there's another thing you wanted to talk about. Speaking of Halloween, this is all Halloween. Yeah, this theme. is all like – yeah, Halloween. Uh, okay. Uh, hangover here yeah so okay and i'll try to get this through quickly but of course now you have something that you you can contribute to this conversation yeah if you haven't seen this um uh snl parody um trailer of a wes anderson horror film yeah uh called the mysterious the midnight coterie of sinister intruders yes is that what it's called which that's funny yes that's a funny joke um, then you should pause and watch it so you know what we talk about. What we're yeah. talking about. But you had some thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, a lot of people were posting it on Facebook and Twitter and just saying like, "Oh, this is the best thing. This is the definitive thing," and uh, it is not. Okay, we can move on. Now, uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, every once in a while, I don't know what it is, but every once in a while, there's something that everybody really likes, and the thing itself is not bad, but they they treat it as though it is the ultimate thing. As just like, oh, you don't get any better than this as far as Wes Anderson parody or as far as parodying any kind of filmmaker's style. It's like, you don't get better than this. Like, are, you absolutely do. Like, yeah. it's just. The, well, it, you it know, capture, it captures his style very well. As long as we're talking about Halloween style okay. um, filmmaker parodies, do you remember the Ben Stiller sketch that was essentially Woody Allen's husbands and wives, except the characters were like Frankenstein's monster and the mummy? And stuff like that. I did not see that, no. It's so amazing. So you should definitely check that out. See, and that's and and that one at least like most parody is often parody of a very specific thing. Uh-huh. This is parody of an entire filmmaker's style, which is not but done is, very often. Some of my problems 
I, I like this thing a lot more than you did. Okay. But I wonder if that's because I'm less familiar. I mean, I, I've seen all the Wes Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. I just, since I don't like them very much, uh, with some exceptions, I don't tend to rewatch them. So the other thing is that I'm missing. Because I liked stuff that wasn't specific in mm-hmm. this trailer, uh, in this parody uh, sketch or whatever, um, that just felt Wes Anderson-y. That's, but but that's maybe there's stuff that I'm just missing that is a specific... Like, I don't know, like, the the intruders sending a message to the homeowners on a paper plane. I, I love, don't know I don't know if that's from a movie. I don't know if it is either. I don't but think it is. That's, that's the kind of thing that's great, because it seems like Wes Anderson. Very much so. But, also, but then... Uh, I don't know who the actress was who was playing Gwyneth Paltrow as the uh, the the wife of the house that's being intruded. Mm-hmm. Um, her looking and acting exactly like Margot from Royal Tenenbaums. That's really unimaginative. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it breaks is... the the sort of the reality that you're creating. Yeah. Because and... like you can say, oh, it wouldn't be funny if Wes Anderson made a movie. It would look like this. But you know, like even this version of Wes Anderson wouldn't put the exact same character played by the exact same actress. In a different movie. Exactly. That's what got me, is having Edward Norton be Owen Wilson. It's like, well, he does use the same actors, so that's fine. And it's a really good impression. And everything yeah. starts like, wow. And that's and I enjoy uh-huh. that. Uh, and just, yeah, little things like the letter and, and also certain camera moves are exactly right. But it's just like, oh, narrated by Alec Baldwin. Well, that's only happened in one movie. They don't yeah. often, he doesn't often have narrators. So, and... This one was done specifically by, by Alec Baldwin. So that's Royal Tenenbaums. They have Margot Tenenbaum. They've got the twins. They have the use of, uh, I don't remember the name of this, me and Julio down by the schoolyard or whatever, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is used in only one thing. It just. It was way too much Royal Tenenbaums. It's way too much Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and there are certain things, like when they go through, like the, uh, the, when the kids go through, like the weapons that they have. Now, that is very directly from Moonrise Kingdom, but it's the kind of thing that could happen in all of them. And so that's, oh, and then they have freaking Tilda Swinton come in as basically social services. It's uh-huh. just like, the, the, Wes Anderson provides you with so much, like uh-huh. so many things that are repeated from movie to movie as far as type of dialogue, type of shots, type of character, that you don't, like, why just take something. Whole, like lift it like take a whole cloth from one movie and just plunk it down in this it's just it's so like you said it's unimaginative and just and it was such a wasted opportunity because clearly they had the you know the money to to put into it and they just really were committed to trying to emulate this thing but when the writing came along no thank you and it just i don't think it's as much of a, a swing and a miss as you as you do, because I think a lot of it, a lot of it hit, but there were things that it, that annoyed me. It's it's the it. Few things bother me more than a wasted opportunity. And when you see the resources that went into it, and the, you know, and a really great thing from like Edward Norton, and just you have all that, and then it still doesn't land the way it could have, and you see what it could have been. That gets me more than if it was just straight up terrible all the way through. Because then you're like, well, it was terrible, but what are you going to do? They didn't have all the resources, but they clearly did. And so it's just – and this just goes – to me, it, it goes back to like – when, when talking to you, I think I said it was like the worst kind of parody. It's not the worst kind. Obviously, <laughs> Seltzer and Friedberg, which admittedly on Facebook I did compare this to, uh, where it's just re- – it's referencing a direct thing and it's like, hey, I remember that direct thing. Laugh, apparently. Um as opposed to trying to capture the the spirit of of a of a genre or of a style or something like but, that. Uh, here's why it's better than Seltzer and Friedberg to me. Seltzer and Friedberg would not have come up with the 
the midnight coterie of, of exactly. sinister yeah. intruders. Yeah, would, that's that, that's why, a funny joke. Yes, it is. And that's it, it very much is. And so and there are things that even watching it now when I watched it with you uh, that I chuckled at because funny's funny is mm-hmm. funny. Uh, but then when you just see <laughs> one of the intruders has a an old uh, like Victrola. a Victrola, yeah <laughs> stuff like that like that's that's when you when you see that just kind of the random stuff that seems so right uh-huh. then then it's like oh this is great we're in good shape and then it's like oh and and danny glover oh yeah. what yeah how is that aside from the fact that he was in one movie yeah the one that they keep yeah. referencing yeah i'm with you it just really it just upset who was me. the host of the episode was it Edward norton? It was norton yeah so Alec baldwin just did this as a yeah a thing um this i don't want to sound like one of those people but uh watching that i realized that i other than edward norton and alec baldwin i didn't recognize a single person in this cast i know i don't watch uh, I, I don't know who's on saturday night live anymore i don't either because Kristen wig and and jason sudeikis are both gone right yeah i think and so i'm assuming that will forte and bill Hader are gone right i think so there's Seth myers is he still on it or no because he's getting I a talk show he's getting it? he's yeah he's getting late night um ellen clayhorn <laughs> is terry sweeney how's terry sweeney doing i think terry sweeney might be dead i feel bad about that um but uh but yeah it's and it's so weird a lot of people i know i mean you and i know a lot of comedy people uh-huh. and they they watch it every week yeah a lot of and, people and the so show, that, that's why i say i don't want to be one of those people who like people have been saying that snl's dead since its second season yeah. so i don't want to be one of those people yeah. uh i just yeah i guess i just don't watch it anymore I, you know what i watch I hear it's still the very birthday good. boys on oh, okay. IFC, as far as sketch shows go, that shit is funny. You should do a whole episode on that. Okay. What? You did an episode on that, is what I'm saying. Of Hey, Watch This. Yeah. Well, we did half of it on that. That's right. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. But anyway, so that was something, I, and and uh, people uh, seem to really want to disagree with me on this Wes Anderson thing. So, uh, so I wanted to uh, put it out there on an episode so that people could uh, respond to that. Okay. Um uh, I, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we're going to get into the topic. First, the, the first thing we want you to do is secure your earbuds. Uh, and if you've been paying attention, if you're doing it correctly, then those earbuds are made by Tweaked Audio, which is, uh, that's T-W-E-A-K-E-D audio dot com. And that's, uh, that's your home for, for uh, professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. And because you know us, you get to go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. And that's where you get all that for one third off. And you don't have to pay any shipping at all. That's right. Um, again, I say this every once in a while. I don't know if you ever have to pay shipping on that website. But I know that when you go through that to slash pretension, right. you, don't, you don't have to pay for shipping. Yeah, yeah. But shipping might always be free. I don't know if that's part of our deal or not or if that's... Uh, well, we don't have to couch it in that. We could just yeah, say... but you definitely don't have to pay for shipping. That's right. worth mentioning. That's for sure. Okay. Better um, safe than sorry. Better go through that uh, <laughs> slash pretension thing. Now, uh, speaking of, I don't know, Halloween stuff, uh, I recently saw the uh, the Carrie remake directed by Kimberly Purse. Because one of our listeners on the website... After, when we did our fall movie preview, we, we made fun of how weird her name is spelled. Yeah. A listener said, uh, on the, uh, commented on the website that it's not spelled like Pierce because it's not pronounced like Pierce. It's mm. pronounced like Purse. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, they should get rid of that I and E then because I'm just going to keep saying Pierce, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which, you know, and, that, and I'm not, I'm not going to make fun of the spelling, but that's how I'm going to say it now. Okay. Well, 
I saw the Carrie remake and put me in the camp of people who like it, mostly like it. Okay. Um, it has some problems early on where I think it, the movie can't seem to decide whether it should assume you know the story or not. Like some stuff. Boy, seems, the trailer sure assumes it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah the trailer man. gives everything away. But like some stuff, as far as like the setup, seems really glossed over. Like the actual set. Like uh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm going to assume you know the story. The setup of the pig's blood mm. is like. It's it's like forty seconds of screen screen time, and there's like the one scene where they go to the yard, and then or you know. And anyway, it's done really quick. But then also other stuff, like who her mom is and. Uh, the idea that she can move things feels like it's way over explained hmm. anyway. Um, but once it gets going, well, like the, the thing about Carrie, I'm doing like a mini review right here. Um, is that it's, it's not, it's a great story. It's Stephen King's first story. Uh, first novel. It's, it's not a particularly deep story. Hmm. And I don't mean that as an insult. And I also don't mean that to say that it doesn't have meaning. Uh, it really does. It really is a parable. Um, it's just that everything's sort of up on the surface. You, you know, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think there's a lot of in-depth analysis you could do on Carrie and like realize things that are like, Oh, I didn't realize that message was in there. Like, it's all kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I like, feel like you don't know what I'm saying? Cause you're not responding. Uh, I have a, I kind of have an idea, but maybe try to rephrase it a different way. But okay. The, the parable about uh, 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 about Carrie being, uh, you know, representing a certain type of high school, even a certain type of person. Yeah. A misfit, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And then um, getting her revenge. This is what we're going to get into here. Mm-hmm. Um, that this That's sort of like uh, that she, the fact that she's playing out this revenge. Um, sort of in the place of all of us who are reading. Okay, yeah, who, okay, who I see. see. And also the fact that it's tied in with her, um, be, you know, becoming a woman in the menstrual sense. Like, that's yeah. how the movie and the book starts, is with her getting her first period. Um, so that's what I'm saying, is that all its parables are up on the surface. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I still found myself feeling... Uh, once it got into it, because it really did a good job of making you feel awful for Carrie and making you really hate the people who are mean to her, mm. um, which it should. But it doesn't make me forget who I am as a person and what my moral compass is. So mm. when she starts getting her revenge at the end, I was, because the movie got me on her side so much and, and uh, Chloe Moretz is, is really good in it, um, I was like cheering for her to like, and it gets... The movie, I, I assumed, they're like, oh, you're going to remake Carrie? It's probably going to be PG-13. Nope. They kept it R, which okay. is good. And it's R for being really fucking bloody. Um, so it definitely goes for it. And I definitely was feeling what I think I'm supposed to feel as far as Stephen King and Kimberly Pierce uh, are concerned, which is I was rooting for Carrie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there's also a part of the back of my mind where I'm like, what they did to her was mean. Or in the book and both movies were shitty. You did a shitty thing. That's what the gym teacher tells him. Uh, and Judy Greer says that line. And it's almost the, the there's hardly even an, uh, like the word for word. The script is so close to Brian De Palma's. Uh, it's really surprising. But anyway, um, yes, they did a shitty thing. Multiple shitty things. It doesn't mean they like they're kids. 
and even if they were adults, I don't believe in the death penalty. Like, it doesn't mean they should die. And I know that. So I found myself thinking, like, should I be enjoy- Is it okay that I'm enjoying this? Obviously, I'm supposed to be. That's what the movie mm-hmm. wants me to feel. But uh, uh, how far can I... Uh, how, to what extent can I abandon my morality uh, during a movie? And maybe that's the point that I'm getting at here, is that maybe this is what movies are for. That, that, uh, that we, uh, one, or one of the many, many things that movies are for. That we can, within, a, say, within safe confines of the runtime of a movie um get to indulge in things that we know are wrong you know like i mean there are people who have pissed me off and i'd like uh you know i would love to fucking slit that person's throat in that moment but i'm not i but not really because i'm not actually gonna do that uh because i know that's very wrong and also way uh not a proportionate response um (laughs) but you get that kind of anger and there's a certain you know other people who have said that this is what like secretly one of the things that zombie movies are about is that it gets you get to play out your bloodlust of like of killing people yeah uh but there's no consequence because they're not really people but anyway, so I found myself saying, should I be enjoying this? And that's the name of this episode. What are your thoughts on my... Have you seen Brian De Palma's Carrie? Yes. Okay, so you know... I don't know if you've read the book. I've not. Uh, you should. It's really good. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on Carrie and on this topic? Boy, oh boy. There's, it, it's very loaded, and it's something that you and I have talked about in the past to a certain extent. I mean, in, to a... We kind of that the the big debate that we had had about girl with the dragon tattoo kind of touches on this a little bit, you know. Well, yeah, I think depending that on what, was the, more, what the movie wants you to. Yes, yeah, so that was more from the filmmakers. Yeah, and this, this I wanted I wanted to put the the responsibility onto the audience for this. Yeah, and that's and that's the frustrating thing because the audience we're going to respond to how we're going to respond, and that's fine. But of course, you know, movies. I'd say the vast majority of movies are trying to get us to respond a certain way. And yeah. the better the better made a movie is, the more likely it is we will respond the way the filmmaker wants us to respond. Um, and so while I do believe that uh, that an audience – that the audience has a responsibility uh, in how it responds, you know, that initial response, that initial thing that you felt of like, you know, for lack of a better term, oh, kick ass, you know, uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah, uh, get him, Carrie. Get, get him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> you sound like uh, like uh, Brian Posehn's uh, hillbilly murderer character. Um, but uh, well, what was the? There's the Simpsons where I think who is it? Is it like someone's trying to escape and Homer puts up the like doggy gate in front of the kitchen and says, "Get him, Ma." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it has that it has that quali- yeah. uh, that quality. But uh but yeah, and so um so that initial reaction is not one that I condemn and I'm not even sure if I condemn it in general. I mean, people are going to react how they're going to react. Um but well, I'll But it's no, it's a we- okay, because as you know, I often uh defer to the concept of, you know, uh character and and characters are our entry point into the story, uh, at the very least because of their circumstances or because of their uh, emotional reaction to things. And so 
in a way, it just makes sense that Carrie is probably reveling in what she is doing. And so it stands to reason that if you are with her, as you have been throughout the film, that you will feel that as well. Mm -hmm. And so to, so it could just be considered in the, in one, I'll get to what it else, what else it could be considered in a moment. It could just be considered basic, uh, uh, not transference, but just just basic uh, sympathy and empathy mm-hmm. with the character, mm-hmm. which I think movies, not every movie requires, but I think movies often have, or the good ones. Um, but then, of course, that's one thing, and that's, a, I think, a positive thing, even if it gets you feeling things that you're not comfortable with, because eventually you probably will feel that ping of like, oh, like, like you had, like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I should be um, – but then, of course, you get, and I don't think I don't think uh, Kimberly, Kimberly uh, Pierce was trying. I think she's far too sensitive a filmmaker to be going for straight up exploitation, because there are all, there's also the possibility that filmmakers, uh, and again, I'm 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 all for uh, pointing a finger at the audience, but there are also filmmakers who I think recognize that there are very basic, and when I say basic, I mean base. Uh, mm-hmm. human responses and emotions and if and realizing well if i appeal to that not in a way that makes that challenges people or makes or will make them think later mm-hmm. but in a way that kind of allows them the freedom that uh you know to be animals as we all apparently want to be uh-huh. um if i do that then you know i can they probably wouldn't say engage my audience but you know i can give people what they want uh, as it happens i just on hulu i just recently watched a documentary called American Grindhouse and it talked about exploitation cinema and of course the idea is what is being exploited and it's our base desires violence sex and uh you know whatever else it might be um food food oh absolutely there's oh there's a big grindhouse movement of food I mean, this should be like food core well there kind of is but there's a whole channel for it a whole a whole network for it i, I mean in cinema oh yeah but yeah i can watch like if you turn on my TV now, ninety percent of the time I'm watching something that's on DVR. But if you turn off the DVR, the default cha- my TV is always either on the NHL Network or the Food Network. It's like never on anything else. Those are the only things that those are the only two channels that I will just turn on to see what's on. Everything else I do, I watch. Uh, you know, I sit down and plan to watch something on my DVR. But if I'm just going to turn on the TV and see what's on. And there is, you know, there is, if I know there's like college football or something, go to that. But it's NHL Network or Food Network. And those are two very base things. Food and I violence. Would, and violence on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Um, ice violence. It, oh, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so, so you see what I'm the, saying? That like there's, again, I don't mean to take the, take the focus off of the audience and how we respond. But – you know, filmmakers' motivations, I think, can come into it as well. And who's just, and maybe the, maybe I'm asking a question here, which is if a filmmaker is trying to appeal to something inside of us and does it in the form of a character doing the thing that we would want to do, then how is that any different or is it any different than a filmmaker who legitimately is just trying to get you to sympathize with that character? Well, I think, again, we said we didn't want to focus on the intent of the directors here, but... And going back to my idea about um, that this might be just a safe way to play it out, you, you know, these fantasies in your head, um, it's worth noting, and again, okay, if you if you are somehow unfamiliar with 
the book or the two movies carry, you might want to skip ahead because I am going to talk about what happens at the very end. Um, the story of Carrie doesn't end uh, end with her riding into the sunset to go on to her awesome new life where right. she's super powerful and no one can fuck with her. Yeah. She dies at the end uh, pretty much by her own choice because she you know chooses to stay in the house that's being crushed by rocks yeah. um, after she's killed her mother. Um, so it, it, it does feel like Stephen King and then Brian De Palma and uh, Kimberly Pierce are, are, are saying to us at the end like, okay, you got that out of your system, but you can't this isn't a way to live. This isn't, you know, she has to, in a very sort of base, like Hayes code type of way, um, she has to pay for being bad, mm-hmm. which means she has to die. That's what always happened in noir movies because of the Hayes code. You know, you'd have 85 minutes of people doing awful things and the last five minutes they would die. <laughs> I remember in our, in our David Lean Michael Powell class, when we watched brief encounter, uh, our instructor, Ron Falzone, um, said that it was. We actually, always say his name because he was. Our he was, fav- a good, he was, a good he was my favorite teacher. There were a lot. It's it's probably a three or four way tie for me actually. But uh, but yeah, and so um, he actually said that you know this woman is involved in an affair. It's assumed that it's uh, you know adulterous as far as you know his sexuality as well. But um, at the end, she. There's a moment when she's standing at the train station and the train is coming and and the sound becomes kind of deafening and all that. And then she goes home to her husband and he said, you know, it was, you know, it could be considered a, a major uh, controversial decision to not have her just step in front of that train uh-huh. because it's just like, I feel I don't deserve to live because of this thing I've done. Yeah. You know, but instead she just goes back to uh, to her husband and is allowed not merely a not merely to live, but also what will likely be a fairly rewarding life. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's, so the Hayes code is, is something that, uh, that even, and Carrie was certainly made long after the Hayes code, but there are certain instincts like the hate. That's the thing. The Hayes code, uh, in watching this American grindhouse thing, of course, uh-huh. I've, I've been thinking a lot about the Hayes code as well. Um, that that plays into, I think, another instinct that the audience naturally has. As much as we like to bash the Hayes Code, uh, including me, I, I'm fine with with bashing it all I want. But uh, but that's the thing: exploitation films and grindhouse movies uh, they play to one thing. They play to the the instinct. The Hayes Code, I think, plays to the thing that comes after. That whether you that and it maybe doesn't come after in the same way for everybody, but invariably, you know, if if I said something that you didn't like and you punched me, uh-huh. that punch is you giving into your instinct, and then eventually it doesn't even matter what I said, you would probably feel bad about it, you know, and that's and the haze code is like okay, we need to make sure people know that feeling bad about it is important, you know, so that <laughs> so, we don't, so we don't have people becoming mobsters in the street and all that and having affairs willy nilly. Um, (laughs) so, uh, so I, that's something that I find interesting. Something I've been thinking about is, is the Hayes code comes from a place that is actually, I think somewhat organic. Now, of course it was nothing that the, the audience was not demanding it. And so the Hayes code treated, treated them as children who couldn't do, do this, deal with this stuff on their own. But in other ways, it is important to some of those movies that, that you have that, uh, I keep coming back to this idea of like this, this bubble of like misbehavior mm-hmm. and we get to vicariously like live that out what would it be like to be a criminal to steal money to yeah. 
live you know high on the hog for a while yeah but then uh i, I think it it is helpful in uh sort of thematic resolution thematic completion to have uh sort of uh, like to, to close the door on that at the end of the movie yeah. and a way to do that is to have the character die or pay the price for right. the things that he or she did did wrong so i don't uh, yeah i guess the Hayes code uh forced some movies to end like that that maybe shouldn't have but yeah. uh i'm not saying that ending is always easy or cheap or insulting yeah there's a way to you know art through adversity and all that like there's a way to make it work for mm-hmm. you um and you know i i but at the same time by not having that uh i'll, I'll bring up a movie that i'm sure most of us have seen which is oceans 11 the the soderbergh version mm-hmm. um where and and we've seen so many heist movies and so many uh you know like con movies and that sort of thing and often the the people get away with it um the the and and they get away with it in the most stylish way possible uh-huh. and in a way that you're just like oh that's awesome it, like it it really is kind of this this attitude i think and maybe this is just me projecting but um but in certain circumstances i find myself just being like oh kick ass like that's usually what i say is kick ass i don't say it out loud cuz you know i'm in public but like um i might say it out loud yeah <laughs> but uh if i'm say watching torque <laughs> Oh, woke me up. So, um, but Ocean's Eleven uh, is a good example of what I'm talking about, which is so many people uh, are aware that it's like, oh, the, you know, at a bank, like, oh, it's FDIC insured, you know, everything's fine. And and right, so right, right. a lot of us think in terms of, well, we wouldn't rob a bank because we'd probably get caught because uh-huh. we're not as smart as Danny Ocean. The idea of it being a moral uh, problem that's gone. Like I think, I think that's genuinely gone. Um, and the idea of stealing, for example, from a casino. Now, well, they the, make the casino owner a real jerk, a real jerk, to and it's okay to it. and it's okay to steal from a jerk. Here's the thing, though: gambling, though a vice and though illegal in certain certain places, is not illegal uh-huh. in Las Vegas. And because these thing, and because uh, casinos are trying to, you know, make a profit then they have their way of doing things and they also need to be secure. Uh, and so, yes, this guy's a jerk. And yes, he stole Danny Ocean's wife, you know, after he went to prison and she left him. Uh, but like, yeah. he also, she's not an object. She's, yeah, you know, yeah, she, she kind of made a decision <laughs> yeah. as well. And so, and while I enjoy Ocean's Eleven, there is that idea of like, oh yes, the, he, he did a shitty thing. Uh-huh. Uh, well, let's put it that way. He did a shitty thing. So I guess he deserves to be essentially ruined. I guess not. I guess he, I guess he can still, you know, he can still, uh, operate and all that, but just, and what's more is we act as though it's like, well, it's a, it, because when you say, when you say that like, oh, well the, the person that gets hurt is a bad person. Right. That's not far off from saying it's a victimless crime because victims yeah. are, are people that are now worse off also, and we sympathize with them. How many croupiers do you think got laid off after that? Exactly. You know, people just struggling to put food in their, you know, 
family's mouths and whatever the however the saying goes. Um, <laughs> Seems like a weird thing. You can just teach them to use a, use a fork or something if you want. But but that's the thing is so yeah, and, there's a, an angel episode where there's a demon electrician and he says. Uh, I got mouths to feed and I got kids. Some of them got mouths too. He's a demon. <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And so I, I feel like that's a movie where throughout the, throughout the whole thing, no one ever says, Hey, we're, uh, Hey, we're taking something that isn't ours. <laughs> We've done nothing to earn this. Terry Benedict at the very least runs his casinos. Well, so one could make the argument that he's earned the money he has. And, and, and just like, Right. You know, like gamblers voluntarily gave that money up. So we're just going to take it and everything's fine. And and that's that's a movie that really is not uh, giving it's not inviting you to think that, hey, this might be wrong. Uh Stealing might be wrong. Um, You know, when it comes to murder, I think almost everybody, depending on the type of movie, but almost anybody watching would say like, it's like, well, I'd never murder anybody. I would never kill anybody. Like, I think most people would be safe in saying that kind of thing. But if you said, like, hey, if you had the opportunity to steal from a casino and you would not get caught, would you? Uh-huh. Yes. Most people would say <laughs> yes. I myself would probably have a moment where it's like, well, I mean, come on. You know? Um, so I feel like that's one where through the style and the and the substance, it really is, you know, what what was it? What's the name of this episode? Should I be enjoying this? Yeah. It's saying, yes, you should. <laughs> you should be enjoying this. It, it certainly isn't heat. But that but that, that film doesn't really say that what they're doing is wrong, more that it's dangerous. And someone could get hurt. That's why it's – that's why it could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, and I yeah. want to talk about Breaking Bad in a moment, but go on. Um, well, what do you have to say about Breaking Bad actually? Because I so thought about things. it. So many things. But I mean should we – uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm okay with spoiling Carrie. I don't know if I'm okay with spoiling Breaking Bad at this point. Uh, I will try not to speak in terms of spoilers. Okay. Uh, I will talk about uh, the character, and I will talk about that versus Sopranos versus Deadwood or, or whatever. Because um, you and I have talked about – I don't think we've ever actually done an episode on antiheroes, have we? I don't know. I, don't I feel know like we have. should. I think yeah. that's there's an episode in there. But, um, but yeah, so – you and I, I don't know if we've ever done, done it on the show, but you and I talk regularly about people that are fans of something for all the wrong reasons. Now, one could make uh-huh. the argument there are no right reasons. I would say you're wrong. Uh, there are right reasons and there are wrong reasons. And so, uh, you know, you spend more time because of your other show and also just your general interests. You spend more time reading opinions about TV online. And I just enjoy it. Yeah. And you just enjoy it, yes. Um, but, uh, and I, and to me, when I was watching the Sopranos, to me, I just thought like, this is so astounding. And like his relationship with Carmela is just as interesting, if not infinitely more so, which is what my opinion is, um, than the gangster stuff, which while it's executed well, and while they still reveal character through it, I've seen before. Yeah. But this, this relationship and the relationship he has with his kids. I, I know that, this isn't the point, but I completely agree that, that. I mean, The Sopranos is a massive uh, work of is a masterpiece and a massive work of art that covers a lot of different ground. But the main spine of the show is that marriage. Oh, absolutely! And it's just, and it, you, and it surprised me when you told me that there were people 
that found that stuff boring. They only liked the gangster shit. Right. Yeah. They want. I, I, was, well, I know. I, uh, I, I've talked about uh, the radio show, the best show on WFMU, which is yeah. coming to uh, a close recently, uh, or coming to a close uh, soon. But recently, the host Tom Sharpling, he was making fun of Sons of Anarchy. Um, by saying Sons of Anarchy is the show for people who wished Tony Soprano would whack someone every week. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and it just, yeah, I, I watched the first season, almost all of the first season of Sons of Anarchy. I ran out of steam halfway through the finale. Never returned to it. Um, <laughs> you're going strong, though, right? Like, you're really powering through? No, because now we're into screener season, so now I'm kind of... Oh, okay. I, so I started the second season of Sons of Anarchy, but I probably won't I won't pick it up again until 2014 because okay. I have a lot of movies to get to. And that's actually how I felt about the first season of The Shield, which was like, all right, let's eliminate all nuance and yeah. let's just – but then I I got there eventually. Uh, the, the Shield doesn't really get good. I know people disagree with me, but The Shield does not really get good until the third season. Third, yeah. Because um, basically the way – it's seven seasons. It's two seasons of Vic Mackey doing bad shit. And it's five seasons of him trying not to get caught for what he did in the first two seasons. Yeah. And so you have to get through those first two seasons that feel very like just what what FX was in his early days with that and like Nip Talk and just like really self-consciously being boundary pushing. Yeah. In a way like that it kind of trying means. to be HBO as much as it could. But it's like, well, we have boundaries. HBO does not. So let's try to let's try to overcome those with uh shock with energy <laughs> yeah uh you know with uh stick to itiveness yeah um because yeah they just played everything up to yeah. a ridiculous degree but i mean as much as i make you know uh rag on those early seasons of the shield when the shield was good it was so good yeah um, and, and it really did like and we'll get this will get us back to breaking bad um it, it, you know there was a, an episode i guess the third to last episode of the, the series called ozymandias that mm-hmm. was one of the most tense hours of television they've ever seen. And oh, I remember, right. wa- like, after watching it, being like, I haven't felt that way watching TV since some of those great S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes. Yeah. So, The S.H.I.E.L.D. is good. Back to Breaking Bad. Yeah. And so, but that's the thing. So, okay, yeah, let's bring Vic Mackey into this as well, now that we're, you know, while we're at it. Um, the, and, and this could be said of almost any, you know, anti-hero, is that we we look at what they do and in, and... They're anti because they're doing things that are wrong and things that we would never do and things that mm-hmm. we don't even necessarily sympathize with. But they're we're they're still the people we're watching, and so we're going to be invited to sympathize with them and and at least understand why they're doing what they're doing and the benefit. And we want them to do that because we're there with them. The thing about Breaking Bad is that – and the thing that kept me from embracing it as much as most people, including yourself, mm-hmm. even though – Again, when it's good, uh, Ozymandias is a, just a wonderful, wonderful episode. Yeah. Um, and there and there are several episodes. And, and of course, the performances all around are, are incredibly solid. Uh, and so, but that's one where, I mean, cer- more so than The Sopranos, certainly uh, you had people who just had absolutely no patience for the Skylar Walter uh, interaction. And admittedly, it's, it's no Tony and Carmela, uh, in my opinion. Uh, there are a couple episodes. There are a couple episodes in the later seasons where they really emphasize, like, "Oh man, Skyler is in bad shape here." Yeah, and, and, and I think and that's I the like difference. Those. Is that Carmela was always sort of? I think there was more momentum to her character. Yeah. Whereas Skyler, at a certain point, became just a sort of living and existing victim of yeah. 
of Walter. I always right. thought she was kind of a harpy. You know, why couldn't she? Why couldn't she just let him do what he wanted? Uh, Doesn't she realize he's doing what he can for the family, and it's for them? Yeah, I'm playing a character now, David. Yeah, and you get that stuff with Betty Draper too. Back in the early mm. Mad Men seasons. Yeah. Um. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of what they've they've brought. I don't know. I, do you, are you still watching Mad Men? Uh, yeah. I've not watched uh, the most recent season, okay. but yes. Uh, they've gotten to a point where Betty's interesting again, but they did sort of forget how to write for her, and she did actually become a boring character. But yeah, but she, yeah, not boring as a fun, not boring because like she's boring because she won't let him have you know cheat on her all the time, <laughs> yeah. and be drunk twenty four seven. But uh, even though she didn't seem to have much of a problem with that, right. um, so okay, so we've been uh, sorry, I've been bouncing around, not talking about Breaking Bad. Um, there is a there is a sequence. I won't say what it is in the penultimate episode Mm -hmm. and it's how that, and it's how that episode ends. Uh And admittedly in many ways it ends very well from a stylistic standpoint, Mm -hmm. the way they use music, the piece of music they choose to use and everything leading up to it is just like, well, it's kick ass, David. Uh Um, and, and even I, in that moment, I'm like, Oh shit. Like it's everything you want a penultimate thing to be, which is, I cannot wait yeah, here we for go. this last episode. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, and so I, I, I had that thought myself. It was that instinctive, like, fucking Walter White, here we go. <laughs> Heisenberg, you know. Uh, and then a short time later, longer than I would have preferred. Uh-huh. Uh, no, shorter than I would have preferred because I would have liked to hold on to that feeling for a while. <laughs> uh, I all these All these things that are not necessarily moral issues – but uh, in this case, they were uh, artistic issues, things that I like everything about that last sequence. While it is awesome, it also epitomized everything I don't like about the show from a structural standpoint, like just the sheer number, just sheer amount of coincidence and how things just fall in the character's lap. But anyway, Which that doesn't bother me as much as it does you, but it yeah. has bothered me before. Yeah. And so um, and so I had an ins- I had an instinct of like. Because that show knows how to make everything kick ass. And it knows how to make Walter, you know, that thing. It's like, say my name, Heisenberg. God damn right. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like, it knows how to make this odious man, this one could say monster. Yeah. Uh, it knows how to make him as palatable and as wish-fulfilling <laughs> as possible. And, and especially for people like you and me. Uh, who are nerds because he's a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's got his glasses, he's got his, his wispy mustache at the beginning of the Uh the show and he just has no power over anything, you know, like epitomized by, you know, not that this is a function of power, but it's just like, Oh, it's his birthday. And so his wife can barely be, uh, yeah. Interrupted, uh, from, you know, bidding on something, on eBay to give him a hand job uh-huh. and just like, and that's like, that's who he is and everything. They really set him up as a sad sack. And I feel like, and so then it's like, yeah, but his, when his inner badass comes out and, and his nerdiness is what makes him so badass. Uh-huh. Like everything about it, just, I won't say panders, but I can't think of another word <laughs> panders to people like you and me who maybe at times feel like our nerdiness or you know, these things that we love so much that might be keeping us outside of like having 
social power or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. So what do you what do you think of everything I've just said? Um, I, I think that uh, obviously I'm a, big, a bigger fan of Breaking Bad than you are, but I still, if we're gonna keep the comparison to The Shield, uh, overall Breaking Bad's a better show. But I think The Shield might have done this thing we're talking about better, where um, it it really did keep us on a sort of a wavering line of like Vic Mackey is a badass. Vic Mackey is a horrible, horrible person, mm. you know? Um, whereas breaking bad sort of seemed to be like badass, badass, badass. Oh, here's a reminder that he's not a good person. Yeah. That, you know? Um, but, uh, and we can't talk about how the show ends cause that's a, that'd be a spoiler. Um, but I, uh, I, I think the ending worked, but it's not necessarily the ending I would want for the show. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that's the... Uh, I feel like I'm not saying anything of substance because we can't talk about how the show ends. Do you want to do a spoiler alert and literally give ourselves five minutes? No, because we're, we're, we're a movie podcast. Okay. I don't want to do that. Fair enough. Um, I, I guess... Uh, And that ending, sorry, no, you, go ahead. you were about to defer to me, and so I will uh, allow myself to be deferred to, even uh-huh. though I've been doing most of the talking. Um, <laughs> but, uh, although I guess that makes sense. So, um, <laughs> and that ending, in many ways, is quite satisfying. But it's satisfying in a way, that there are people, I won't say why, uh, specifically, but there are people that have looked at the season pardon me, the series finale of Breaking Bad and said, oh, it's like a dream uh-huh. or it is a dream. Some people think it's a dream. And then Vince Gilligan weighed in and said, it's not a dream. It's like, uh, it's uh, not up to you anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> like, it really bothered me that he did that. So, um, but, uh, but there's a reason that it works as a dream as well as it does. And it, and there are a couple, there are a couple blips where it's like, eh, it doesn't really, you know, shake out like that. But, and it's because Everything works, not everything works out, but things work out as you, as somebody who wants to like Walter White and mm-hmm. you're on board with him, it works out the way it can, the, the best way it can for him. It it works in a way that is kind of wish fulfillment. Um, and, and that kind of, that okay, kind so of bothers Okay, so this gets us back to the purpose of this episode. Yeah. Which is to say, is that necessarily a bad thing? Right. Um, and I don't think that it, I don't think that it necessarily is. Maybe that's why I'm more forgiving of Breaking Bad um, than than other things. Like I, I don't think there has to be a demarcation or a or a or a divide between exploitation and you know high art. I, I think you right. can you can do both, and I think absolutely um, Breaking Bad manages managed. At its, at its best to be both trashy and profound mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, but the trade-off there is it does leave something up to the audience. So um, I guess we're getting here is you and I both know how we feel about Walter White and how we feel about yeah. um, our own morality. Like We're pretty concrete in that. Um, is... Our sort of our our, res, our reservations about how Breaking Bad ended maybe a little bit elitist, where we're saying, "Well, I get it, but 
maybe some other people won't. And does that make it bad? Is that our place to even say? Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's it's almost going back to what I was saying about the the, the Hayes Code and why uh, people felt that it was necessary, which is is like if we don't do this. Uh-huh. people might not know it's bad. Yeah. And in a way, it's almost like me saying like, well, unless he, unless he uh, is engulfed in, unless Walter White dies the way uh, John Travolta dies in The Punisher, like, <laughs> right. then he might, then viewers might think he, he was doing the right thing all, all along. And so, yeah, there is a, there is a, a, a concern there that, that we're saying, we get it. Right. Because we think about this kind of thing more well, than this, most people. Um, um, this brings me to something else. Um, we're going to still be not talking about movies. Let's look at us back into movies. But uh, weirdly, after I saw Carrie and came up with this topic, um, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats on his Tumblr um, mentioned uh, something along the lines of this topic. He's uh, apparently into video games, and he was talking about how much he likes the uh, Tom Clancy Rainbow Six video games, but also finds, uh, I think... Uh, he finds their politics to be, I think the word he used was icky, <laughs> but, uh, this will get, I think military type stuff, mm-hmm. you know, these games that put you in the, uh, place of, of the military and these movies that do, um, have a tendency that is both justifiable, but also kind of icky or scary to treat real human beings who are not the American military as less than human. You know, I mean, look mm-hmm. at, I, I'm a big fan of Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's almost no time spent with uh, the, with the, with any Somalians, and most of them might as well be zombies or aliens or whatever in a horror movie. They're yeah. just there to get to get shot and, you know, uh, and, and shoot at the guys that we want to survive. Yeah. Um, and, and so I definitely have that problem, this same problem with, uh, a lot of military type stuff and i was thinking about it just last night i saw uh paul greengrass's captain phillips which i think wades into this territory knowingly i think this is something i really like about paul greengrass um that he he does make the pirates human yes but then it also gets to a point at the end when the seals are there where you're hoping the seals kill the pirates yeah even though they haven't they haven't killed anyone right you know i mean they've done some stuff that's upset us and upset people but they haven't killed anyone um and i i i think paul greengrass and uh the great screenplay uh, of captain phillips which is by billy ray yeah. which is usually a good sign. aside from one scene at the beginning which is clunky as hell uh you'll have to tell me which scene driving in the car oh i like that scene oh, okay. i thought it was nice um and uh thematically it's important yes. anyway um uh the the screen the screenplay reminds us not only by having set up the pirates as human beings beforehand yeah but also reminds us this talk about what you know uh are they fishermen by trade and they're forced into this i love like, that you're not a fisherman like it's reminding us uh that um, that they're actual people. And so when you get to that point where the Navy SEALs are pointing guns at these guys and you're, you are because Captain Phillips is, that's the title. That's the main character. That's the one you're most em- empathizing with. Um, uh, you're, you're hoping that these guys get killed, but then you're also wondering what that means, it, you know? And uh, I, I won't go. I mean, I, I don't know if I mean, Captain Phillips is a, 
a yeah, recent true story. I'm not sure how much I could even spoil. Yeah, you can, you can look it all up. But um, and yeah, and I'll, I'll just. And by the way, if you know what happens in Captain Phillips, it doesn't mean you shouldn't see the movie. You should totally see the movie because it's really, really great. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, yeah, the uh, I will say that I feel like it, that the, the movie, when you think about it, it really could. There's one pirate specifically that is just so, so hostile. Mm-hmm. And the one who, at any given point, wants to kill everyone, essentially. <laughs> and when you think about it, they all could have been like that. They all could have been just, you know, I, I'll go back to the term monstrous, by which I mean essentially monsters. Uh-huh. Not people. Like you said, they could be aliens, zombies. They are the other. They are the threat. And that's all they'll be seen as. Um, and that's kind of what that character is. But you also just see the amount of stress that he is under and that they all are. And so, and by, and it does humanize them, uh, you know, by saying like how old they are and they come to understand and we come to understand the economic situation they're in and, and the fact that they have bosses that take most of what they do, even though they're the ones putting their lives on the line as becomes very clear by the end. Um, And I think a facile way of interpreting that information would be that it's, um, uh, overly sort of like bleeding heart, you know, excusing. And that's not really what's Not going. at all. So if you're hearing Tyler say that and you're thinking, oh, it's one of these softy pinko movies where they're making the people who are doing bad things out to be the real victims. It's not that. There's and, a, there are much deeper reasons why it's going into their background. And that scene of you're not a fi- you're not just a fisherman, that says, yes, you have been dealt a pretty shitty hand. Uh-huh. Y- <laughs> we keep coming back it was to a shitty word. thing yeah uh but in the end you are responsible for what you do and there are consequences morally and practically and i feel like that's it's like you can't just keep saying well this uh-huh. and that i think is is why the ending works well is that i certainly wanted that one pirate pirate to die because he is the biggest threat yeah but that i that's think true. is i think that's where the film succeeds is more than it, it's like you want this situation resolved and it becomes clear pretty, it becomes clear eventually. It's not clear immediately. You think there's a way for everyone to get out of this, but it becomes pretty clear. Like there is only one way out of this and I, and I want this to be over. And so I guess this is what needs to happen. I'd prefer it didn't, but there's only one way, especially now that one, now that the most reasonable character is gone and now, there's only hot-headed, angry, stressed-out guys with guns left, and so in man, that lo- that lifeboat looks like anything but. Like even <laughs> if even if there's nobody with guns threatening you, it just it looks so hot and terrible. But um, yeah. Um, anyway, we shouldn't talk. Uh, this yeah. isn't this isn't an episode about Breaking Bad, nor an episode about Captain Phillips, right? Uh, but I guess what I want to say to bring it back to the topic is, um. Now, uh, okay, all things considered, if I'm going to compare Captain Phillips to Black Hawk Down, I'd say Captain Phillips is the better movie. But within this topic, um, is Captain Phillips a better movie because it wallow, it, it wades into this gray area? Um, or, or is it just two different approaches? It's two different kinds of stories. It's hard to know because you mentioned, I mean... I think comparing Black Hawk down to a video game is solid. That is a good comparison. And and I know a lot of people that play military type video, you know, uh, Call of Duty. Your Call of like Duties. Yeah. 
Your Rainbow Sixes. Yes. Those are the only ones I know. Your Tom's Clancy Rainbows <laughs> of Six. Uh, but the – but, okay, so let's go back to what I was saying uh, earlier in the episode, which is, okay, we're talking about um, – you know, in some cases, we're talking about sympathy with characters. And if you were, if you and I went to war, well, we would die immediately. We might die on the plane ride there. But uh, <laughs> well, I'm assuming we haven't been to basic training. I guess maybe we have. All right, okay, fair enough. If I've been to basic training, I'll do fine. We're there for USO purposes. <laughs> they need film criticism. <laughs> so, uh, so we get thrown into battle. <laughs> We get thrown into battle. What could we possibly do? <laughs> well, they're just, you know, podcasts are big. And uh, <laughs> and so be like, hey, we got some podcasters for you. They're like, oh, is it, you know, is it, is it Adam Carolla? Is it Never Not Funny? Is it because we could use a laugh? They're like, oh, um, well, let me ask you this. Do you like uh like movies yeah we like movies are we gonna watch a movie no no not officially no but um anyway so uh but like if you and i go were to go into battle if we were actual soldiers my guess is if we get thrown in the midst of in you know into the middle of a battlefield the enemies are just they're they're only enemy they're only enemies they're just people that are looking to shoot us and thus we need to shoot them first it's you know saving private ryan is kind of the same deal uh in that first 20 minutes and so to a certain extent, Black Hawk Down, given the nature of the story being told, these guys are not in a position to care that these other people are human. They are human, but they also happen to be humans that are shooting at me. And that is my primary concern. Mm-hmm. And so one could make the argument, even in video games, although that – because there's an interactive – because there's an interactive quality and that you don't actually have to play this game uh, – you know, that's a, another question, but, um, you know, it's putting you in the same position as any soldier who that would be in that situation. And so if, if a soldier, you know, neutralizes uh, a threat, I think we are allowed to enjoy that because that soldier is now alive and he is us. Uh-huh. Now here's what would be interesting is if they made a movie about Black Hawk Down from the other side. Yeah. Now, if they did, if an American did that, and the Somalis are still the bad guy, <laughs> then I think we'd be, you know, but that's the thing is, you know, you get something like Letters from Iwo Jima, which I think is a very mature film from, you know, a very mature filmmaker who recognized, okay, I'm telling a different story now. And now these guys are the bad guys that are, that are actually fairly brutal, you know, blasting fire into these caves even though that seems like going from the other point of view, that's a logical thing. There yeah. are threats in these caves. Now there are not uh-huh. like, it's just, so all that is to say that like, it's very relative. Like if you're going to be put in the, if you're going to be put in the position of a soldier, you're going to sympathize with that soldier. And the sympathy is going to go away uh, towards anything else because what you can't sympathize with somebody that is not talking to you is far away and is merely shooting at you. They just want you dead. You can't sympathize with that. You can't treat that as human. All you can do is try to stop it. But this goes back to what I was saying earlier. There are probably a number of movies, like I would say, a you know, maybe a Pearl Harbor or something like that, that maybe treats it 
treats that as like in in an exploitative kind of way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah, hard, it's, I, uh, I, Pearl Harbor is maybe a perfect example of what we're talking about because I, to go all the way back to to Carrie. Um, maybe Pearl Harbor isn't a perfect example because uh, it seems actually confused at times about yes, it does. who you're supposed to be. But yeah, uh, you should not be enjoying the bomb that uh, the, the first bomb to land in Pearl Harbor. You shouldn't be enjoying it like no matter which side your yeah. like sympathies are with. That's that. Uh, yeah, that's a maybe that's not a a, a good example. But uh, it's a good example of a number of bad things. But maybe not this one. Uh, but maybe going back to Breaking Bad. But okay. Do do we need this will be maybe the last like subtopic we cover here. Do we need some sort of hint or clue from the filmmaker? And this will go back to our dragon tattoo topic, but yeah. do we need something from the filmmaker to say that they're smart enough to know what's right and wrong? Because that's what you don't get from Michael Bay is that <laughs> right. he is just enjoying the mayhem and is not considering the human moral or political, uh, you know, repercussions or motivations or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you definitely don't get that. And because, um, uh, a Kimberly Pierce is a smart filmmaker and because Stephen King's story ends the way it does, we do get a sense that, okay, so they know that it's that, you know, being bullied isn't an excuse to, you know, crush a kid between the bleachers or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, is is that necessary? And 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 it's also very difficult to quantify. Like I think yeah. when I said the shield, like did it better than Breaking Bad? Maybe I'm saying that because it tipped its hand a little more. It made Vic Mackey's wife and 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 uh, kids um, so clearly uh, victims, mm-hmm. and it focused on that more often. Maybe I think than Breaking Bad did. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I mean, uh, again, a very minor spoiler, but, you know, Walter Jr. doesn't, no, for almost the entire show, doesn't even know yeah. what's going on. You know, it's not about... And when he does know, that's like some of my, those are some of my favorite beats of the whole se- series. But anyway, go on. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I guess uh, my my question is, like, do, I, I guess I already said it. Do we need to be assured that the filmmaker knows what's right and wrong for us to feel comfortable with the movie. I instinctively say no. I don't think it's necessary, but at the same time, the movies that I respond to the most, I think Yeah, it's it's hard to it's man, it's hard to say. The ones that I respond to the most are the ones that show a certain degree of sensitivity and nuance on the part of the filmmaker where they may be telling this story, but they also understand other aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um but even if something like is of just a big, uh, like a smart, dumb movie. Like, I wish I could think of a good example uh, of something that's just sort of enjoyable, like mayhem. Well, we always go back to the rundown. <laughs> the rundown, yeah. That's, but I, I guess I was trying to think of something more violent. Um, it has more people getting killed in it. Uh, I, I'm sure I'll think of an example. I've never seen Kick-Ass, so I don't know if that counts. Um, it, even the, in those examples... I, I have seen Kick-Ass, and uh, yes, okay. So is that movie smart enough that, uh, or I, I guess I don't know the story, so I don't know if characters do pay for their actions, 
but is that movie smart enough? The, the bad guys do. <laughs> um, but it is is Kick Ass a smart enough movie that you say that you can watch it and say like, okay, I know that. You know, this movie is winking at me and letting me know that it doesn't actually condone these actions, or is it condoning them? It certainly seems to be condoning them. Here's the thing, and I, it, I think uh, you know when I put the question. Uh, two minutes ago up like do we need to know that the filmmaker knows that knows the difference between right and wrong my instinctive answer was also no we don't need to know that but the more i'm thinking about it i think maybe maybe not like maybe almost uh below the surface or subconsciously we need to know or at least have a reasonable uh, expectation that the filmmaker is smart enough Uh, yeah it's you know (laughs) this is this is not the kind of movie we're talking about, but Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, so I reviewed that over at More Than One Lesson, and as one is probably not surprised, uh, I reviewed it unfavorably. Uh-huh. Um, although there are good moments in it and all that. But we, one of the things that bothers me more than anything is that we have a woman who basically acts as an emotional sociopath. She just hurts people all the time. Uh and is constant, and and the film seems to view this as a kind of empowerment. And these people are not bad people. Uh, and and the emphasis seems to be it's like it's like well it's like hey it's important to forgive yourself. And it's and it's like uh, she doesn't seem to recognize she's upset that she hurt people and that's fine. She doesn't seem to, and and also like if you look at the relationships, like well that hurt certainly wasn't necessary. These are not. Like, people can get out of a relationship for whatever reason. That's fine. But one could make the argument that there are some reasons that are maybe a bit more legit than others. Uh, And this woman basically – here's the thing. I'm quick to say this on the show. This is based on a true story. I don't – haven't read the book. I don't know the real woman. This is based entirely on the the movie character. Um, So basically she has hurt these people by leaving them for reasons that they – don't think are legitimate and she might not think are totally legitimate, but eventually she's like, okay, I'll just forgive myself and everything's fine. And then I'll just do it again. Uh, and, and after a while and just, and, and a character's like, it's like, you know, if you're starting to feel bad, just send good thoughts their way and then just drop it. It's like, that's sounds horrendous, <laughs> but that's the thing. It really that, does sound sociopathic. Yeah. And so I believe that is the term that we use, uh, in the episode, but, uh, and that's the thing is so that as opposed to – and the film we have a, for a companion film was uh, Five Easy Pieces mm-hmm. where you have a character who does things his own way. He leaves people, but he – it hurts. And because we see the people that have been left, uh, it actually like means something. And we see that there are consequences for other people. I know it's hard to believe that there are people other than Julia Roberts and E. Pray Love, <laughs> but, um, but that's a movie that – we're not dealing with violence. We're not dealing with, you know, any kind of uh, horrendous, like, physical thing. We're dealing with emotional violence, I think. Right. Um, and that's one where the filmmaker seems 100% on board with everything she's doing and views it all as a positive. And Wait, is the filmmaker a she? Or you mean everything that she, the character is doing? The, the character is doing. It's directed by a man, right? Ryan Murphy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, in many ways, shouldn't surprise anybody. But he's also, I, I don't know, he's, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know more about him than I do. About but, his TV work. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think he does, 
again, we keep talking about TV, but you've talked about um, that. I don't know if you have you talked about it on the on the air that uh, that Todd Glass quote that upset you. Uh, or, I talked about it uh, in the episode of More Than One Lesson, in which we talked about okay. the movie Bully. But you haven't talked about it on Battleship Britain. I don't think so. So basically, Todd Glass, um, after coming out of comedian Todd Glass, came out of the closet, and after that, saying that he was talking about being bullied, and he, and and you know, Todd, you were like right with him every step of the way. But then he said this thing: "It's time for us to." It's uh, time for the bullies to stop bullying and for us to bully them. It's yeah, like, you, no, you yeah, you've. And I, and then anyway, I only bring up that quote because I do I do sometimes get that impression from Ryan Murphy mm-hmm. um, that he thinks it's okay for people who are jerks to be crushed unri- in bleachers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or just to be the recipient of jerkiness, yeah, um, which and is I, not the way the world should work. Anyway, um, I thought of a perfect example. Okay. I haven't seen Kick uh, Kick uh, Kickass, but the perfect example movie that I think uh, has that indulges in mayhem and never really on the surface says this is wrong, but is generally smart enough. In my opinion, that we know that this is just, uh, self indulgent. This is just fantasy mm-hmm. is kill bill volumes one and two. Oh yeah. She massacres people. <laughs> like yeah. the people, like, especially like the crazy 88s, they're, they're yeah. face, they're faceless. They're literally, I mean, they're wearing masks, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're literally faceless. Um, and people just die constantly. um, in in that movie uh in in both those movies and it's it is a rah rah type of thing like the same way you feel about about carrie you know torching shit uh but i think there's just and and django is on is like this too because django is also like maybe django's even a better or they're both revenge fantasies yeah uh, you know and fun oddly enough when we did our dragon tattoo episode we talked at length about inglorious bastards mm-hmm. in the same way um uh, i also like I can't. I don't actually, in real life, support the things that the character of Django does. Right. I, I can't. You know, he. Uh, I. I don't believe in an eye for an eye or, or anything like that. Um, but I'm smart enough to know that within the movie, uh, in the movie, smart enough to let me know that this is a safe place. This is a. We're just playing out a little fantasy here, and then we'll all yeah. go back to our real lives. Maybe there'll will be some sort of catharsis. But it's not meant to be taken literally, and that's something that actually you'll you'll hear a lot of uh, horror fans talk about. Is you know, when anytime somebody says, "Well, horror movies they just appeal to the basest instinct in us and that kind of thing," um, which I don't think I agree with. But and uh, it's also again not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I talk about how much I like Avatar, and I think because you say base, I would say primal. I have primal. A, that's okay. I have that's a, a good primal one. response yeah. to Avatar. Yeah, because um, you liked. You, you want to fly, David? Don't we all? I guess so. Yeah, I want to be invisible. But anyway, um, you know, in a, in a world full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? Is that a thing? Yes. Oh, okay, it's from a seal song. <laughs> crazy. Uh, but uh, what the hell are we just talking? Oh, horror. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, that's something that horror fans often say: is you know, it's like people are going to have these instincts anyway. And so we are giving people a release for those where they're able to visualize them in a, in a place or that is kind of safe. A purge, if you will. One could say a purge, yes. Um, and, I, and I never quite knew if I – for some reason, every time, somebody, every time somebody said that, my first thought was like, bullshit. 
you're trying to justify making terrible movies but yeah i think that argument that it's like emptying out the spit valve on a trumpet is <laughs> that's stupid that people don't work that way yeah uh but what i'm talking about is more uh a, a, not a release but i'll go i'll use the word again a catharsis mm. that like i'm not saying that oh good i watched someone kill three people so now that's three less people that i will want to kill in my lifetime it doesn't work yeah. like that but i've <laughs> Work through emotionally, maybe or mentally. Look, we're all born wanting to kill a predetermined amount of people. <laughs> Mine is three hundred seventy-five. All right, I've so you gotta watch. One. You gotta watch RoboCop like five times, and you're done. <laughs> like you're good to go. No murders on your conscience. That's a thing. No red I, in your ledger. I kept. <laughs> I kept watching Jaws. Apparently, the shark thing doesn't even count. <laughs> um. Uh, anyway, so I think we, that's uh, that, that's a good place to. To start wrapping up? I think so, I think. yeah. I mean, it's, again, as with any conversation like this, we haven't come to any, like, real conclusions, but well, hopefully okay, we've my, asked a lot of good questions here. My conclusion would be that um, uh, in a movie like Carrie, it not only is it... Okay, in a movie like Black Hawk Down, it's excusable, this moral, uh, this thing... Things, it's, it's excusable for the movie to work on a plane that I don't morally agree with because i don't think a movie has to tell every story all the time mm-hmm. for the story the blackout down is telling it's telling it the way it needs to but in a movie like carrie it's maybe even better maybe carrie is also a better movie than blackhawk down i'd say they're about the same but uh it, it's it's better because it is not only okay because of what the story is it's it actually might have some sort of mental cathartic emotional uh lasting effect that we get to play these things out. And I think what I, how I will conclude is, is to bring this back to something that you really wanted to, to focus on, which is audience responsibility. Uh, you have a responsibility, I think, to be discerning, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally, morally, and artistically, to go into a movie. And we could be talking about a movie like, you know, Eat, Pray, Love or something like that mm-hmm. uh, or just whatever um, in which the filmmaker gives no indication that they are at all against – what this character mm-hmm. is doing and you have to go in and say and and you might find it cathartic you might find it enjoyable and just afterwards just ask yourself why why did i find this enjoyable what did the filmmaker do that appeals to me so much why was i just like oh kick ass why did i do that the answer might be fine it might it might be like oh huh there's something unexamined going on in my own life um <laughs> But whatever, just like as long as you do that, I think I don't think it matters what the movie is, uh, really, because you'll be able to. But I still think that the more of a sense you get that the movie is aware of its gray area, the better the movie. Oh, is. absolutely. Absolutely. Like some, some of these you'll have to work a little harder than others. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah. And so and that's the thing. Me saying uh, the word discernment, uh, that's basically what c- what all of these, uh, what of all, all of our episodes could come down to is just be better viewers. Uh-huh. And we, and we all have moments. We all have and, our moments when we're like, Oh, that's kick ass. Wait a second. Like, yeah. And I don't want to say like, uh, you say just be better viewers and I agree with you, but like you're being kind of facetious and phrasing it that way. Yeah. yeah. We're not lecturing at you. Like, yeah, at I, least I'm not like, I think we should all be better, better viewers and, uh, doing a podcast and, uh, interacting with people on Twitter or on the website or just having conversations and meeting other film geeks and talking about movies is helping us all to be better viewers. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I, it's yeah. one of the reasons why, you know, 
episodes like this, as much as it, as fun as it is talking to, you know, a build wire just, or any, you know, or, or like a Maurice LaMarche or, or any one of those dumbasses, any of our best friends, uh, <laughs> you know, doing this with just me and David like that to me is just as invigorating because I'm actually getting to think about things that I haven't thought of before, or at least and in forcing yourself to verbalize it, you suddenly realize like, oh, you know, now, like you said, both of our first instinct was, no, a film shouldn't necessarily indicate this thing. Right. That was our first instinct. And probably if it was something we were merely thinking about, we probably would not have arrived at, well, there might need to be something. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did talk it out. Yeah. And so, uh, and yes, I, I'm, I'm, I was being facetious, obviously. We yeah. all, everybody has the instinct I'm talking about. Yeah. I so. think... I like that this episode has turned into a justification for itself at the end <laughs> and a justification for this podcast. Well, we do kind of need them. Yeah. Um, so you can find us at battleshippretension.com and there's all sorts of uh, movie reviews right now. My, uh, let's see, I guess that was last week. No, this week I have a Dallas Buyers Club review up. That's the newest uh, one as well as Ender's Game. There's one for Ender's Game. Ender's Game, uh, Aftermath. Um, those are up so check those out there's also home video reviews uh constantly and links to all the other fun podcasts in the bp fleet uh you can email us david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com you can follow me david on twitter at the pretension or follow tyler on twitter at more lessons which is the official podcast of his other podcast sorry the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which is at more than one lesson.com my other podcast oh go ahead Okay, uh, a couple things about More Than One Lesson. The most recent episode, as of right now, is about William Friedkin's The Exorcist, uh-huh. which uh, is a film that historically Christians have not been thrilled with. Uh-huh. Uh, but the the guest is a guy named uh, Reed Lackey, who's one of my writers, and he uh, it is his favorite film of all time. And so it's a, it's a really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I also wanted to let everybody know More Than One Lesson has been nominated for a podcast award, fifth yeah. year in a row. Uh I, I don't think we're going to win, but... No, we should all, even if you don't listen to More Than One Lesson, go vote for for it in the podcast awards. We finally teach these bullshit awards how to get it right. Damn right. So yeah, if you go to podcastawards.com and go uh, to the religion section, click on More Than One Lesson, and if there's any other categories you care about, sure. Uh, but uh, <laughs> And then you'll it'll ask for your name and your email address. It will send you an email asking you to confirm, and uh, then you're good. So, and uh, by the way, you can vote once a day. So if you really love me, or then really, you can do this. Yeah. You want to stick it to those other podcasts who are uh, the other podcasts that are nominated alongside you, all of which are awful, probably.